0: How many of us have heard the adage, now's the time to make mistakes while you're young, or something to that effect? What they don't tell you is, youth isn't only the time to make mistakes, but also the time to take chances on experiences and try those once in a lifetime opportunities. Odds are likely we all have that one thing we want to do, or wish we did, or still plan to do. So let's talk about a time that I took a chance and checked an item off my bucket list, unsurprisingly, in my youth. Maintaining a work-life balance keeps
1: getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day.
0: Well, before we get started, Brian, let me ask you, what's the likelihood you could take 10 days off with no real responsibility to say,
1: other than to feed yourself? I mean, what are the likely, what what's the likelihood I could take off two days? Not, not very good right now. Is it, no, never. 10 days? I, I have to plan a month or two out just for like a couple day long weekend. Well, I think that's increasingly
0: true for most people now, especially as we get older. And as we get older, our responsibilities compound and multiply. So taking impromptu trips or even that cliche like post-college backpacking trip through Europe or wherever you go backpacking becomes increasingly more and more difficult to do. No surprise that a job, a family, a house, etc. will make it harder to do just about anything free-spirited, I'll call it. So for today's episode, I wanted to talk about the time I crammed into a van with six other grown-ass men and drove, I think, as far west as Wisconsin to play 30 minutes of music a night. Yep, Brian, it's another band experience
1: episode. I like the band episodes. At least one of us is accomplishing something in our in our creative endeavors.
0: I feel like it's so self-indulgent, but uh, outside of just, like, corporate uh jargon and buzzwords i think it's the only thing i can really offer that is somewhat unique
1: (laughs) to to anybody's experience so Eh, throw it out there let the viewers decide or listeners decide you know if we get like two downloads on the episode we know that we don't like the music
0: (laughs) (laughs) there we go folks you know what if there's more than two of you out there we know it's a success per brian's uh bar that he set Sometimes it can feel like a catch-22 between working and hobbies or passions, and that's ultimately at the root of the work-life balance conundrum this pod aims to explore. Work grants you a paycheck. The paycheck grants you the freedom to explore your hobbies and passions. But work also requires more and more of our time, especially as we take on more responsibility, aka more money at work. It can be hard to take time for ourselves while working a demanding job, and vacations around a quote, hobby can seem like an exercise in greed. At the risk of sounding like a narcissist, I did that actually once, actually maybe twice. So, story time
1: folks. My wife actually did something like this. Speaking of younger people going out there, taking risks, or just trying to experience things. When she was a teenager, she went over to Spain for a while, and she lived there for a short time. Uh, loved it. I can't imagine her having the same mentality today. Not that she doesn't like to travel, just because we're so rooted here with family. It's a whole different ball game. But yeah, in her youth, she was all about that. So not not the same as you, different circumstances, but same idea, getting out there, traveling, seeing the world. Well, that's the cliche, like post-college backpacking I was alluding to earlier, like going to
0: Spain and going through there, like, you know, taking a trip, I should say. Uh, I don't know if I would have that ability to do that right now in my current situation, more so than
1: anybody else who's 30 years old who just bought a house, you know? You could fill up Daisy's dog bowl with, like, eight weeks of food and just get on the road again. Giant mountain of Daisy food. She does graze. (laughs) But before
0: we really start, I think I'm going to ask you a question. Normally, this would be a rhetorical question for the audience. But let me ask you specifically, how selfish does it sound to take, well, uh, I'm drawing the line in the sand, 10 days to do nothing but
1: a hobby, I'll call it. I mean, selfish to who, right? It's what what responsibilities do you have, I would say, and I I don't want to steal your thunder or take your lead here, but and we're talking about young people. If your only responsibilities are to yourself, then I don't think you really can be selfish, right? You're doing something for you when you're the only one counting on you. That's the time to do it. I guess what I mean when I say being selfish is there's a dilemma that I see,
0: and it's likely that this is only something for you. Our partners likely don't feel that same level of passion for this trip we're taking. So using my story as an example, I don't think many people would enjoy the experiences I'm about to share on a experience-by-experience experience level when you break it down to microcosms versus the big picture. That's what makes you you, John. Yeah, exactly, right? But as I tell my story... I think you'll see why I chose to do it. So I will preface this by saying, similar to your wife, I I was very young when I did this. I was 22 years old, I think. So when I embarked on this journey, my situation was a lot different than it is now. I'll be honest. I don't know if I could get away with it today. And I think that's kind of the big dilemma that you and I are dealing with right now.
1: One question I ask myself Speaking of age, speaking of youth versus, I'll call it youth versus wisdom, but I'm, I'm really just calling myself old. Uh, it's not just that I know I have responsibilities on my plate. I also just flat out don't think I have it in me at this point. And I'll go over an example uh, from a, a guy I used to work with because all of my relationships are my, my work relationships anymore. And I think we've covered that before anyway. Well, it's the same way all of my stories are band stories, right? Pretty much, pretty much. That's at least more interesting than mine. But we had a sales guy, and I wouldn't quite call him an octogenarian, but what's that joke? He was uh, he was around when the Dead Sea was just really sick, right? Old guy. <laughs> I haven't heard that, but I like you it. You never heard that? You never heard that before? No, yeah. no. new old, to me. Old guy. It it, nothing new about him. It was an old dude, and I want to say he was, like, is mid-60s, why he was still working. I don't, maybe he's bad with money. I can't say, but he was a road sales guy. And God bless him. I can't imagine being on the road that much. I traveled, well, before lockdown, I would travel once a quarter, twice a quarter. And even that was enough for me. Younger Brian, sure, it would be great. But older Brian, I'm just tired. (laughs) I'm just tired all the time. And I can't imagine doing it. So, yeah, I don't know. I think that's totally
0: fair, and as I tell this story, I think you'll see that my sentimentality to it is still very strong, but I very much share the same opinion that I'm probably too old for this shit now. <laughs> I've mentioned in passing on the show my experiences with bands growing up. I started playing pretty regularly, as in like practicing in my parents' basement in high school, and I think by the time I got to college... I, we had rented a practice space or would play at somebody's house in the city. um I think the big note there is instead of my parents' house, which again dot dot dot, I should say occasionally because we still ended up at my parents' house more often than not. God bless nice. them. <laughs> but <laughs> your catch is like, why is he still here? right? It's like he's twenty six Why is he still here? <laughs> but I digress. By the time college came around, we were playing gigs pretty often, so some months up to twice a week at our busiest, and for anyone listening, it's not the way you build a successful brand or band. We totally overplayed ourselves, and we're just around way too often, so don't go that route. Anyway, as we played more, we decided we wanted to play in other cities as well, so we would do little trips to Jersey or Delaware. I think we made it to New York every so often, but we had our sights on something bigger. And by bigger, I mean just farther away. I don't know if anybody even really wanted us there or anybody was asking us to play in their town, but we decided to plan a little tour. And Brian, if you could see me right now, I did air
1: quotes. So you would love that. Love the air quotes. Did you actually physically do it like at your at your uh, mic? Well, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> but to provide a little bit of
0: well to provide a little bit of context here when i say tour um it was a very diy uh, avenue meaning we basically just weren't playing in clubs or real like you know places like that very often we were playing in people's houses usually very specifically their basement something we had grown accustomed to we actually really enjoyed it and i think i'm underselling it because that was our preferred venue preferred method of performance at that point in our lives because it usually meant you could like drink it it, think like hand in hand with a house party at this point so
1: 22 year old me loved it i was going to ask if you did any shows in westchester i might have been in those basements but now i realize i'm old and you would have not been old enough to be in that scene yet when i was in college i definitely played in westchester but um
0: not probably why you were witnessing any (laughs) shows so we had the basement tour all planned out. I think it came out to be like 10 days in total. So to translate that to work speak, I think it was like six business days. So we left on a Friday and I would be back in the office the following Monday. So at this point in the story, I should hazard anyone to really consider over committing yourself, even for like fun trips, because we all too often take for granted the need to like decompress after a long vacation, and I know it sounds gluttonous, I admit it, but I advise for people to, like, take, like, an extra day or a weekend or something after your vacation to just go back home, a- a like, to just decompress, and I bring this up because this will be important later.
1: Well, it's like a buffet, right? You you go and you're hungry and you load your plate up with way too much food, thinking you're just going to massacre it, and then halfway through, it's like, I can't eat half of this you know, your eyes are bigger than your stomach it's kind of similar but your mental eyes rather than your physical eyes right yeah and
0: i think it's i th- memes nowadays are basically the only <laughs> form of social commentary that everyone sees but it's i think there's memes of like the extroverted part or the extroverted side of me uh, when making plans versus the introverted side of me when those it's time to fulfill those plans i think there's a part of that uh when it comes to, like, planning out 10 days on the road in a van
1: with six other stinky dudes. I actually got banned from scheduling things in my house. Because I'll go out somewhere, I'll start drinking, and I'm like, you know what we should do? We should go hiking all Saturday next week. Let's go kayaking, son. And all of a sudden, I'm triple booked, and my wife says, you can't keep doing this. And you're no longer on to book things anymore.
0: Um, yeah, I'm pretty much the same way. And I think the reason I bring this up, because... My plan was to intentionally play gigs up until I had to go back to work that Monday. So you cut yourself zero slack. Bold, sir. Very bold. I had a gig Sunday, and then I traveled back home that night to work the next day on Monday. Pittsburgh to Philly doesn't seem like that bad of a drive, right? Uh, It's it's not too short either. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's not too short. So we'll come back to that. I thought six hours... Yeah, it's fine. I can make it work. <laughs> uh if only I had known. So, tour started on a Friday, which meant we played a local gig on Thursday. It's traditional to have like your home, you know, home gig, your home base kick off and then you go to tour the next day. So, we left Friday morning to to start the trip. So, if memory serves me correct, our first stop was in New York City, so it was pretty straightforward. And we knew damn well to prepare for tour or to prepare for New York City traffic. So, in an oversized mess of a van, we knew we were driving into a nightmare. So, we maybe even had a trailer, I think, at this point too. So, we knew that uh, finding parking was gonna just be pretty much impossible. At this, I point. flat
1: out don't drive in New York. I take a train up. I go from Trenton to New York. Get up at Penn Station. I, I don't drive there. That's that's horrible. So
0: everything started off great, and I will say it stayed great for the most part. I had an amazing time, and I still look back on this fondly. I still talk about it. I mean, here we are eight-some years later, and I'm still talking about it. We played um, a couple shows, and one cool spot I do want to call out or highlight was in, I believe it was Clinton, Connecticut, and it was a spot called Scottish Dave's. And make no mistake about it, the place was owned by a dude named Dave who was, you guessed it, totally Scottish. So, awesome bar, I was awesome gonna say Welsh. dude. Ah, yeah, you, you nailed it. <laughs> Overall, awesome time though, and I think we actually spent the night at his house. Uh, no, I I know we spent the night at his house. So, he had a pretty large house out in the sticks. So, I think there was beds or cots for all of us to sleep on. I don't think anybody like slept on like a couch or anything. We stayed up with Dave. Um, I think I should mention he was like in his sixties at this point or fifties, and we're like in our early twenties. So that's weird. Well, no, y- you say that, but it was totally cool. Want to sleep and... on my cot? Yeah, <laughs> it was him. Well, it's it, it was him and his wife, and there are several cats. Want to sleep with my wife on my cot? <laughs> Uh, first time I ever had a pickled onion, actually. He he had a jar of pickled onions, and I ate it, just, like, bit into it. And Dude, it was my wife awesome.
1: shared the cot, I'm going to sit in the corner with my pickled onions. With my pickled onions. <laughs> so we stayed up all night
0: listening to records with him. He showed us um, his brother's band, I believe, who, like, played with, like, Black Flag and stuff like that. So really cool stuff for a band like us who was, like, on this tour, and we're like, we're doing it. So. I, I, I should mention, this is pretty representative of what my experience with tours has been like. Most of the time, folks are super nice, and they'll let you crash on their floor or invite you back to their cot while they eat pickled onions. <laughs> <laughs> but and if they won't let you do that, they'll find somebody who will. So I've met really awesome people on these trips, and I can't look at a jar of Clausens without feeling dirty to this day. <sighs> Well, I think this is all fun and cheery, and I do have to say I don't think living this way is probably sustainable for most people. It's fun, but it's not really a fulfilling lifestyle for most people if you're looking for something a little bit more than night-to-night, gig-to-gig, eating pickled onions, why a guy stares at you sleeping in the cot. So after the break, I'll fill you in on the not-so-fun parts of the trip. Welcome back. Uh, Tour's been great so far and we're having a blast, but that doesn't mean it's been smooth sailing the whole time. I think a funnier example that I want to share with everyone, I'll call it oversight on my part. Uh, My debit card was rejected while we were on the road. So it was either in Indiana or Michigan, but it was my turn to fill up the van. So I hop on out and plug my card in. Boom, declined, Brian. Never a good feeling. I've been there. And nope. And like I said, this is in Indiana or Michigan. So I'm a little yeah, a little freaked out. I know there's money in my account because I had just gotten paid. I literally had an email on my phone confirming my direct deposit. So it was curious to say the least. But one thing I hadn't considered was that my bank, which was a local bank, might identify somebody trying to put gas in their car in Indiana or Michigan as attempted fraud. In the moment I'm frustrated, yes. But looking back on it, I guess I'm I'm glad that there's some type of fail safe should my card be stolen. <laughs> but ten minutes later, I, I get off the phone with my bank and I can use my card again. I think this is pretty benign as far as story it, you know worst case scenarios can we can consider, but This is all tame, but what if I was pressed for time or I wasn't able to get in touch with my bank? Sure, I could say I'll pay on the next go-round, but what if I was alone or some unfortunate circumstance prevented us from getting gas at our next stop? That would be on me. Well, that's exactly the type of fear that hits you on the road. More likely than not, in the moment, I'd be upset to cancel a show. than. I would be more upset to be stranded being adventurous in your 20s. That's what you feel. But these are concerns and we put a lot of trust into our debit card or our cell phones and being very much a child of the modern age. I don't know how you would do this before smartphones. Uh, It sounds like hell on wheels. Brian, were you... Are you old enough to remember like maps, or is it always been like GPS uh,
1: navigation systems for you too? No, I was a I was a map guy for a while. You had the person the shotgun acting as navigator. I'm, not, I'm I'm. I think maybe I'm older than you think I am. By a couple of years. No, I remember getting well, back when I had GPS, they used to be Garmin's. We didn't have smartphones at that point and it was I remember Garmin's. Garmin's. I remember um what was it? Like
0: TomTom or something like that as well, right? Yeah.
1: But no, I used to love the the nap navigation. Did I say nap navigation? I like nap navigation too. Map navigation. Yeah, Yeah, it it, here's a good spot to nap. (laughs) <laughs> Pull over. No, I used to love it because it's like, oh, this is where we are. I see this this intersection. Oh, that's that's this road. And kind of following it along. I know exactly. I'm like, I'm Magellan over here. I know exactly where I'm going. I think these are
0: the small little things that can add up on the road. And I don't think any of which can really be as impactful as car trouble while you're on the road. So we totally had our fair share. Um, this was probably the root of most of my anxiety. Our van was older than most of us inside of it, so we had planned to take it hundreds and hundreds of miles without really a care or concern in the world because we had our inspection and our tune-up beforehand, so we knew we could make it wherever we wanted to go. But had any of us really considered that our alternator would go? Uh, Had any of us really known what an alternator was before it had gone? Uh, All this and more is what we learned while we were on the road. Have we ever considered the fact that maybe if your exhaust falls off while you're on the freeway, you'll start to smell the fumes inside the car? Yeah, we had our fair share of car troubles while we were on the road, Brian. I'm just picturing a van-shaped fireball riding down the highway. It's pretty much what it felt like at times. We, We totally pulled over, picked up the piece of the exhaust that fell, threw it in the back of the van, and drove in on fumes to the next town. So I guess this is kind of a rhetorical question. What do you do when you ride into town on fumes? Brian, do you have any any recommendations or suggestions for our listeners?
1: Beg and plead for gas money? I have no idea.
0: Push? Well, that's one thing you can do, especially when you don't know anyone in town. But I I have a, a surefire answer. Um, it's, you spend the night in an auto zone parking lot in the freezing rain and wait until they open in the next morning. We had, uh, a, I guess a trailer, uh, what do you call it? A, a tow truck take us over the border of Indiana into Michigan. Um, and we spent the night in an auto zone parking lot
1: cause they were already closed and he had nowhere else to take us. Can I ask one question? Yeah. At what point, because I know this had to have happened, at what point did one of you say, middle of the freezing night in the parking lot, this will all be worth it when we get the record deal, man?
0: None of us at this (laughs) point, because this was pretty much like the second to last night, and we had already canceled a show, and we knew that there was one show left. We were pretty much like a big old eff it attitude and said, just get us
1: home. Just pass the Rubicon, just get it done, get out. There was there was no delusions of grandeur here, right? <laughs> Just delusions of hopefully gas money. Delusions yeah. of gas. <laughs> no, that's tank. pretty
0: much what it was. We considered it a win if we walked away with more than gas money at the at a gig. Wow, we sold two shirts and a record tonight, man. <laughs> we nailed it. <laughs> that was easily one of the worst nights of sleep in my entire life. In that autozone parking lot, we were using like our phones to like look into the engine. My buddy Lucas, who, I mean, God bless them. They they did an awesome job fixing it for us. We ended up having to keep the engine running and stay on the freeway pretty much the whole ride home to keep the alternator (laughs) working. If we'd stop, the car run the risk of not starting back up. So we basically had to, like, coast through certain tolls, things like that. So it was definitely a fun experience, but... Michigan was miserable, and that whole car ride was miserable. But I, I, I still remember this being a fun trip. Uh, probably would still do it again given the opportunity. But mishaps like this totally make me reconsider. I guess the big rhetorical question—maybe um, not rhetorical, but philosophical question. <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be like a relaxing experience for me. I thought this was supposed to be fun. So why am I subjecting myself to these miserable conditions? And Brian, forgive me in advance because I'm probably going to sound a little like corny and cheesy. I think um, our fervor for passions and things like that are a completely other topic of conversation. But to come up with some semblance of a reasonable response as to why I did all of this. I just loved playing music and wanted to share that with everyone. So those 30 minutes of music, or I should say those 30 minutes of performing made up for those like four hours of drive time leading up to the gig. And I guess that's kind of a metaphor or an analogy for life in general. Wouldn't you say?
1: Let's say the whole thing was a bust from the gate or let's say the next year you stop playing, you know, was it all for not? I would still say no, it was still a valuable experience. As I'm listening through to what you went through and what you experienced, I would say I'm picking up on a few things that I see as giant transferable, if not skills, then values. Well, I think that's exactly it.
0: We work hard all day, all month, all year for like that two weeks or that week of serenity on vacation. I'd be I'd be lying if I said I've ever taken a two-week vacation, but... I still think we all can justify that return on investment to ourselves. And what I mean (laughs) in my example is nothing beats playing music, so I can justify that. I can say, you know, practical concerns aside, by the end of tour, I was wiped and ready to spend a weekend on the couch, but it was still all worth it for me. It it, it was, you know, I put in my time to do that, and that's what I wanted to do, and sharing my music with people was totally worth
1: it. So here's my call out to anybody listening. You know, is it worth taking risks if they're presented to us? Should we at any age, right, whether you out there listening are young, old, in between? I'm going to say yes, and the reason is sixfold. Is sixfold even a thing, I know twofold is a thing, but so first and foremost, we've talked about this before on the show where How do you define somebody as being lucky? A lucky person is somebody who's open to opportunities where an unlucky person closes themselves off. What you did, John, with this trip... You were opening yourself up to opportunities and it might not seem like they were big opportunities playing in a basement or sleeping on some guy's cot while he eats onions across the uh, across the room in the corner.
0: I love the new narrative we've created surrounding that. I tried to give like a shout out to a small local <laughs> business and it turned into us just creating this weird Hannibal yeah. Lecter type yeah. character. I po-
1: no. Good on good on him for giving you a room and board. No, but you you opened yourself to opportunities. And even if none of them necessarily turn into something for John, the musician, and John's band, you're still training yourself, training your brain to be receptive to opportunities as they come up. That's going to serve you throughout life,
0: I, I right? Funny enough, you mentioned that. I think a really good example I can give is I was on a call with a vendor not too long ago, and we had a conversation about where we're calling from and... He originally was from one of the towns that I had visited on this tour. So I was able to say, hey, I've actually been there before. Funny enough, you mentioned that. And then I get to share a little bit about myself, creating that personal connection with the person I was talking to because we now had this shared common interest, commonality, whatever you want to call it.
1: Yeah. So that's the first thing for me. The second thing, you know, I would say, and I think you would agree with me, that a lot of elements of your story were about, mistakes you made and some minor, but still failures that you had as you were going through and, and driving as a fireball down the highway. Those are important for us to experience. And running away from mistakes and failing means, well, we're not learning because we learn through mistakes and we're not overcoming our fears in life because we overcome fears by failing and getting back up again. So those are important things. And I think a really great example is, Let's go back to the car trouble. Let's go back to John's card was declined. That's the kind of thing that it it seems like such a small example, but it's building perseverance. It's building assertiveness, talking on the phone to the bank and getting things straightened out. It's problem solving. It's creative thinking and and reliance on yourself, right? You talk to people today and tongue in cheek, but still out there as a joke. One of the hallmarks of the millennial generation is... We won't even call somebody. We won't even call the waiter over if our order's wrong, right? What you went through is teaching you the assertiveness to say, look, if something's wrong, I'm the one that's responsible for fixing it. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And that's something that I think all of us could do. All of us do better. So that's very important.
0: I don't know the statute of limitations on this. So I may be uh, implicating myself here, but uh, I may have. Falsely misrepresented myself as my father when we called uh, AAA to get us towed. Uh, nice. because we happened to share the same name, you know, with uh <laughs> with uh, different uh suffixes. So yeah, it taught me how to uh you know, scam the system too. So to your point, yeah, I learned a lot. It
1: feels like Kevin and Home Alone too, where he's like ordering things in the hotel room <laughs> using a stats <dad's> recorded voice. <laughs> this the is the father.
0: Kevin's father. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, and, and the last thing for me, I think I've mentioned my friend Tom on the show very early on, but I'll, I'll rehash it. Cause it was many episodes ago. I have a friend, Tom, who is a, a poet. He writes poetry and he'll go to live readings, but he's never actually gone and tried to publish. And he never really saw the reason to, and, and asked me why I thought it was a good idea. And I said, look, I'm not saying to go get published because it, is a monetary source of financial independence. I'm saying go and get published because by putting yourself out there and having people be there to take it or leave it, that's kind of helping you to understand how you can get better, right? If you're only ever doing something for you, if it's John playing his guitar in his uh, house in his apartment and nobody hears it, there might be some personal impetus to get better because you have that passion. But The real impetus is going to be, I'm playing for people. I want to be good so people enjoy what I'm putting out. And by taking this trip, by playing these shows or local shows, you're taking steps to get better at something you're passionate about. It's a catalyst. So for all these reasons, look, the trip could have been a disaster. Uh, You could have given up music the next year. I still think what you took from it is going to be valuable throughout your life. You're absolutely
0: right, and I think uh, you probably did a better job of putting together a summation than I would have. Stole your thunder. Yep. Sorry. I definitely learned a lot of important and vital skills uh, on that tour. I think one thing that I don't want to gloss over, though, is remember that drive home from Pittsburgh I mentioned that shouldn't be that bad? (laughs) Yes. Well, it was a drive home from Michigan now, and it was on fumes. Nice. I didn't get to actually sleep on that car ride home the way I thought I would. Uh, so having somewhat of a you know full night's rest before that shift on Monday would have been a lot better. And even a half night's rest for that matter. But we drove all night and I was in the back when it wasn't my turn to drive to try to catch as much sleep as I could. We eventually made it back to the city uh, and I hopped in my personal vehicle and drove straight to work. We'd all met in the city um, and then just kind of drove out from there. So I had probably, I think, another like 25 minutes to my office. Uh, I do want to call out this was a different type of job for me. It wasn't corporate or white collar at all. Um, so I was able to walk into that office and hop in uh, the showers because they had a locker room. <laughs> I was working at a country club. So a little bit different. I could not imagine me walking into the office like this now. Um now the office though is the other room So eh, maybe I could uh, I think I didn't have a big grand message Plan though Brian so I really Appreciate you kind of putting this Into perspective for me So uh, happy to add value Yeah that, that little slice of hell That I went through made it worth it You know you to, to quote uh, What is it uh, Shawshank Redemption uh, Andy Dufresne was the only guy who You know what climb through a pile of shit to come out clean on the other side right yep <laughs> i don't know if my story is anywhere close to that uh there's no analogy to draw there but i think the one thing that we kind of touched on this whole episode is we're bargaining with ourselves every day uh on a grander scale we're we're trading our time and i think you've talked about that before we've advocated for people to take their PTO And I think that would be a good message I could share with everyone. We sacrifice some of that personal time with work. So why not sacrifice some work time for some of that personal exploration, those hobbies, anything like that. Um, So that's, I guess, the only bit of actionable advice I would share with anybody else. Brian, to call out, you know, putting yourself out there. I think this episode will be live the 22nd, right? Uh, I do wanna call out that I am still making music. I've talked about it before on the pod, so by the time this episode goes live, uh we will be a week out from the newest band uh with some of those members I shared you know this story with. I still play with a lot of those guys. We're gonna be releasing our first signal, so I'm gonna be sharing with everybody uh a link to where you can find that, save it, you know pre order whatever I don't know all of that but. Uh, if anybody would like to listen to see any the music I'm still making these days, I would be mighty grateful if you checked it out. You know, we'll take whatever we can get. So uh, happy to share it with the pod listeners.
1: First single from Cheap Hotel coming out three one. Be excited! There you go. Yes, three one. Yes,
0: the name of the band is Petrol. I've shared that before, and I think at this point, Brian, because I'm feeling generous, right about now. You'll hear a little bit of a taste of that song that we will be releasing on 3-1. Uh, the name of the song is Bloodbath.
1: How about that just... How about we just do that as the like the, the, the fade-out music? You, if you're comfortable. I think that's, that's fine by me, yeah, yeah, if you don't mind. Definitely. So, as we call the episode tonight, sit back and relax with the soothing sounds of petrol. Sit back, get your jar of pickled onions on your cot get cozy <laughs> there natural. you go listen back and uh, tell me
0: about your brother's hardcore band from DC while you eat pickled onions and
1: look at us while we sleep in the cots <laughs> thanks for listening to the big balance podcast don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and drop us a comment while you're there until next time